Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Hi, Spirited Advocate Podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Now, today we've got a, a special moment because we have none other than Eddie Russell, the master distiller. Uh, from the great, great wild turkey. And uh, we usually do cheers at the end of these sessions, but kicking off with a little bit of great wild turkey bourbon, uh, we're going to really celebrate and recognize as Eddie Russell is coming on his 40th year anniversary uh, being with wild turkey. Eddie, thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us. And how's, I guess, coming out of the gate. Uh, how you hanging on uh, with the pandemic and everything? Uh, hello, everybody. Glad to be on board talking to everybody. Uh, it's been a, a little bit of a challenge, but it's one of the times we're living in small town Kentucky. It's It's been a little better than a big city. We really haven't been affected a whole lot here at the distillery. We've, you know, took our protocols, but kept running right along. The big difference for me is not being able to get out and visit people and talk to people. So this, this has been a sort of my venue for the last year, year and a half or so uh, to talk to people and get to tell them the great news about wild turkey. Absolutely. And you've, you've, y'all have got a lot, a lot happening. Could you tell us about uh, uh, what's been in the pipeline over the past year and what's coming up? Well, we definitely are always working on something. You know, that's, I think, the biggest Absolutely. difference between me and Jimmy is, you know, for me, I just try to bring out as many great products with our one recipe and one yeast as possible. You know, in my, for me, what I've always loved is whiskey straight out of the barrel. So, you know, in a little older whiskey, if everybody knows my father, they know he'll say, you know, whiskey's best at seven to 12 years old. But I think we have some great liquids in that 13, 14, 15 year old range. So one of the things that's just now hitting the market is a 13 year old Russell's reserve. And just getting back to the things I preach all the time to our company is non-chill filtered, barrel proof. You know, it's so funny. That's been such a big change. You know, 101 was too strong a proof for people for many years. Now they want stuff that's up in that, higher proof range straight out of the barrel, but it's more of a natural taste. So the 13 year old is really something special that is coming out, uh, has some great flavors. You'll get some dried fruits, you'll get some honey, you'll get some dark chocolate, all the flavors that I love, but has that big bold finish that wild turkey's known for. Of course, I always, you know, master's keeps. I'm trying to do something every year, 18 months. I have a new one coming out, and it's a pretty special one for me. I've actually took what Jimmy loves, which is that 8- to 10-year-old whiskey with some uh, 14-year-old that I really like and done a second maturation with it and actually placed it in my favorite warehouse. It's funny you have 30-some warehouses, and one of the oldest on the property is your favorite, which is G Warehouse, I think. Most people's ever picked single barrels for me realize that. So it's just a special product that's coming out. You'll see that later on this year. And um, But constantly, you know, we released the rare breed rye, you know, barrel proof rye. 
Uh, so just different products to, to reach as many people, as many different taste profiles as possible. Absolutely. Uh, we, as you may know, as you may recall, we had the, uh, the opportunity to award Jimmy Russell the Lifetime Achievement Award at the February 2020, right before the world changed on us. Uh, we had an opportunity to recognize his so many achievements in the beverage alcohol industry. Uh, uh, first and foremost, how is he doing? And uh, uh, I bet it's just been a, a fascinating career having the opportunity uh, to work with your daddy and to work with a, a legend as well. Well, Jimmy's doing pretty good. I mean, he doesn't get around as well. Of course, not being able to pop into the visitor center and say hello to the visitors has been pretty tough on him. But him and my mom still get out and go eat once a day. So they're still moving around, doing good. Uh, you know, working with my dad, I wouldn't advise anybody to work for their family. But <laughs> I, I would imagine that can be tough at times, right? It can be really tough. And then when your dad is what I've always said, the Michael Jordan of your industry, it makes it even harder, you know. But I learned pretty on that I could never fill his shoes. It was just sort of slip them on and go, you know, don't mess up anything that he's done, which, you know, I preach that to my son and my niece both, you know, make sure you never change what Jimmy built this brand on, but, you know, expand, do things that you like. And that's sort of where I've been through the process, but yeah, it, working for your family and Jimmy was, you know, if anybody knows him, he's very, firm in what he believes. He doesn't want to change things. You know, he does things the right way. And he says that's the only way. So uh, it, at times it was pretty tough. Now, now it's, you know, definitely a lot easier. You know, I always try to keep him up with what I'm doing. Make sure, you know, 10 or 15, 20 years ago, if I was doing something and he'd say that won't work, I probably would just quit. Nowadays, when I he tells me that I think it still probably work, you know, because it's out of experience. You've got your own views, right? That's part of it. That's part of it. And our industry's just changed so much about who's drinking our whiskey and how it's drank. And, you know, there's so many different young people into the category now, men and women. Um, you know, I grew up when I started here in 1981, there was only eight distilleries and Booker No and Elmer and Parker Beam and Jimmy. They all thought they had the best whiskey and they didn't think they had to do much more than their 101 or Jim Beam or, you know, back in the day it was ancient age for Elmer. Um, but for me, it's always been about, I want to take our different taste in whiskey. And that's what's so great about it is, it all goes in the barrel the same proof. It comes out the still the same proof, but the aging process gives me different flavors to put in different products. So that's something I really look forward to doing, working on tasting whiskeys and picking out different flavor profiles and different things like that. Eddie, could you expand, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, in the early 2000s, uh, consumers in large weren't really gravitating to bourbon, right? And you've been a part of this kind of revolution. And of course, what's brilliant about bourbon is the versat versatility of it and all of the above. Uh, it, what's it 
What's it been like kind of following the evolution of American whiskey in bourbon? I bet just the last 15 years has been both exhilarating and fun, uh, but you've been there during the days where consumers naturally didn't gravitate to bourbon, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, and I, my generation was the one that sort of changed it in the 70s. Bacchus came out and my generation was not about historical what dad was drinking or granddad. It was more about we're going to do something different, you know, and our consumer for many, many years was an older gentleman, mainly a southern gentleman. I mean, our our bourbon industry as a whole really didn't push in the Northeast or the Northwest, even somewhat out in the West. It was mostly about Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, those type places. And, you know, I just, for me, that's really what set the course for me was, you know, our, our industry as a whole, not just wild turkey. We were only promoting to one specific people. Consumer, yeah gentleman you know and jimmy had his drink and he knew what it was and he he promoted that he didn't think about other people and you know without japan and the early to mid 90s because they had the bourbon boom at that time we were probably doing a third of our total sales in japan in, the- in japan yes yeah. and my dad was going over there every year and up until last year i'd been going over there every year it's you know, it's a little different now, but they went through the boom back then. So that sort of helped, you know. And then Jimmy released a barrel proof rare breed. Booker released Booker's. Elmer and Jimmy released single barrels. So they sort of started the trend a little bit, even though that's not what they really thought they liked. They liked their normal products. And then, you know, like you said, 15 years, time goes by pretty quick, 15 to 20 years, these young bartenders started going back, making the classic cocktails again. And it it changed our industry completely and for the better. You know, most people that are trying bourbon now, back in the day, it was, you drink it neat. I had guys giving me a hard time because I like to put ice cube in it, you know, (laughs) and now that most people, young people, men and women, are are getting their first drink through a cocktail, through a Manhattan, through an old-fashioned, through a Boulevardier. A lot of great drinks out there, and, it, and it's very simple drinks. Most of them are just two or three ingredients, you know, and that's what's so good about it. And it's just changed our industry completely. I mean, rye the number one thing. You know, nobody was drinking rye. Right. All of a sudden, the younger generation started drinking it because the bartenders realized the original drinks were made with rye because that was the original whiskey in the U.S. So it's just been amazing to see the change. And, you know, I'm good friends with Fred Noe, and we talk about it all the time. What's going to happen when all these older gentlemen are gone? Because we're not teaching any young people about bourbon and you know, we tried with, you know, coming out with Russell's was my first step in trying to bring more people to wild turkey and, you know, different things like that. But really, it was the bartending community, these young bartenders going back, looking at the classic drink list and making those classic cocktails. And they're your number one and first ambassador because, you know, they had a drink and 101 was one that held up to any ingredients. So, the bartenders love the 101. So, 
getting to see that with bourbon, it went from 57 distilleries when Jimmy started in 1954 to eight when I started in 1981. Here in Kentucky now, I think we have 73 or four different licenses. You know, distilleries are starting up all the time. It's just amazing to see what's happened and truly an honor for me to see that happening. You know, our industry has always been sort of a little up and down, but it's just been amazing to see what's happened. And, you know, we had to give the credit to the distillers of putting out more products, but number one, the credit has to go to those young bartenders bringing that younger man and woman into the category. Yeah. Eddie, and, you know, you talked about Japan and, of course, uh, the boom here in the United States. But, uh, you know, it's really all over the world, quite frankly, right? One of the issues that, as you well know, that we have been contending with is uh, the tariff challenges. Uh, There's been a 25 percent tariff on American whiskey since June 2018. And since that time, this is both given to us by our friends in the EU in the UK as well. And in the UK, we've seen a 52% decline in exports. Uh, 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 do you think, you know, we're hoping that building blocks are being put in place, maybe where we might be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel to get beyond these tariffs with a big announcement recently by the EU that they were going to double the tariffs to 50%. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh the tariffs, the impact of the tariffs, and uh, certainly with uh, the European market as being such a great opportunity for American whiskey and bourbon. Yeah, I think the European markets, the UK, which I've been going to every year, is just a perfect spot for for our industry. It's great cocktails all around. Uh, You know, the tariffs did hurt, like you said, probably the UK and Canada more than anything. Um, and that's something we really couldn't control, but all of our representatives are talking about, you know, trying to get this taken away. So hopefully it gets back. You know, I think without America growing the way it did for the bourbon category, it would have really, really affected a lot of us, but we were growing so much in the States. It sort of offset it, but, you know, putting so much time and effort into visiting and talking I mean, I was going to Canada, I was going to the UK all the time, uh, every year to make sure to meet and talk to people and bartenders. And, you know, we were even bringing international bartenders into our plant and letting them camp out. But for me, it's been truly amazing. When I started, I think export was about 6% of our business. And I think Japan was five and a half of that 6%. Wow. (laughs) No. Nowadays, it's probably pushing 35 to 40 percent, you know, and the Asian countries, it's become a really big deal. So, you know, I've been to Thailand, I've been to South Korea, I've been to Manila, just all over the world places. It's like Poland. I've been there two or three times. It's growing so much there because the bartenders are connected all around the world. What happens in the United States, it might be sort of like Kentucky, where my wife always said when something happened in the U.S., it was a year later before it happened in Kentucky, you know, because we were <laughs> yep. rural community. And it was sort of the same with the, 
the export, you know, the bartenders over there, they were sort of following along with the American bartenders were doing. So it's become a very good process for us. So, you know, getting to visit all these different countries and it's like I went to Bangkok, Thailand. The first masterclass I had was 350 people. And there probably wasn't 10 of them over 35 years old. Wow. It was men, young men and women that were bartenders, and they were just fascinated with wild turkey, but also the cocktails, and they wanted to understand things a lot more. It makes it a little bit difficult when you don't speak the same language, but you know, you sit down with your interpreters because it's so hard. They're not used to talking about the things we talk about, wood, barrels, sure. and grains, and distillation. So you sort of have to scale that back and talk more about the family histories of the bourbon industry. And, you know, around the world, that's that's an easy go. People have been into history around the world a little more than my generation was here in the U.S., but... I think we're going to get to the point where the tariffs are going to back off. I think as this administration sees, you know, what it's doing because it, you know, for us, bourbon is our number one export out of Kentucky. And, you know, with as many distilleries around the U.S., it, it, it sort of affects everybody. So I think you'll see a positive change on that end. You know, I have a podcast with New Zealand tomorrow night, you know, a big rum country, but I've been over there and visited them and, their bartenders are wanting the bourbon and then a podcast with Canada later on tomorrow night after that one. Canada was a very quickly growing country, very good cocktail scenes in different parts of it. So still doing it, just doing it a different way. Instead of me actually being on site talking to people, I have to do it this way for now. Absolutely. This year it'll get back to where, you know, I don't see any overseas trips this year but hopefully i can get back out in the u.s and talk to people i know my son and start to do it a little more so you know things are easing up i hope it stays that way let's let's hope if you have a question about where you're losing market share how to defend your competitive position and to benchmark your performance against competitors the iwsr will have the answer IWSR Drinks Market Analysis is the leading source of data and insights on the global beverage alcohol market, analyzing and forecasting the global market of wine, spirits, beer, cider, and RTDs across 160 markets. Sign up to their weekly industry insights email to receive insights and analysis straight to your inbox at the IWSR.com. It's amazing if you reflect back when you started on June 5th, 1981, uh, could you ever have imagined that you would have been going to Thailand and meeting with 250, 300 Thai bartenders to talk to them about wild turkey? No, uh, I mean, most people don't think about it because, you know, everybody's like, you got the best job in the world at I don't disagree with that, but, you know, I think whether it was Fred No or me or uh, Craig B. Samuels, Samuel's family. You yeah, got it, yeah, you know, I don't really think most of us grew up thinking we were going to work in this industry because it, even though it had been families, you, you know, I live in a little small town at 18 years old. I wanted to go to college and get a degree and go to a big city. There just wasn't yeah. a going on you know that's how you think 
And I actually came here for a summer job. That's why it was June the 5th. They were hiring a few summer employees. And I came here for a summer job and thought I'd work for a couple months and then go back to school. And I mean, within a couple of weeks, I realized this is where I belong. It just was that feeling of, and I was working in the union. I was a bottom employee. So I, it wasn't, I wasn't sitting in the office. I was rolling barrels and dumping bottles and stacking cases, but I knew everybody here. It was such a family atmosphere. You know, I'd come out here with my dad as a young boy. And the ladies on the bottom line, they still thought of me as that little boy, but it, it was really cool. And, but I never really thought about it, you know, and then maybe 10 years in, Jimmy brought me into the steering after about four or five years in that union, about 10 years in, I thought, you know, I'd love to do what Jimmy does. And I went to Jimmy and I said, he's like, well, what are your thoughts? What do you want to get out of this place? And I said, well, I'd like to be you. He said, what, you want to be the engineer, the accountant, the human resources, or the distiller? And I said, I don't want anything to do with that other stuff. I want to be the distiller. But, you know, Jimmy was doing all that at that sure. time. You know, like most distillers were back in those days. And he said, all right. So, you know, I stayed in the distillery, and then I went in and took over the maturation end of it because, you know, you have to know what you're putting in the barrel, but the maturation is such a huge part of us, especially for wild turkey. So it, it's been a very nice long summer. I mean, it's went by so fast, 40 years. It just, it seems like I started yesterday, but as I look around at me and all the employees that were hired around my time, we are getting a little older. So. That's all right. I tell you, well, the world... Uh, thanks you and, and your daddy as well, uh, because the world and American consumers, Japanese consumers are the beneficiaries of all of that. So uh, Matthew McConaughey, you and him worked together on Long Branch. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I was just in Austin the last couple of days, and uh, that's where he lives. And he's a big University of Texas a Longhorn fan, uh, could you could you share with our audience what that experience has been like? I I know typically every thir- uh, Thanksgiving he'll come down and hand out turkeys, right? Hand out turkeys uh, to local folks in Kentucky and so forth. Uh, pretty 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 cool opportunity, right? Well, when they first talked about Matthew and, and they came to us, my dad wasn't big on it. You know, it always been Jimmy Russell was, had always been the only face for wild turkey. I mean, I was out in public a little bit, but everything was centered around Jimmy and still is and should be. So the first day he came here, we had a luncheon in our visitor center, just a meet and greet. And I, I was off doing something and my son and my dad and his group of people he was with and a few of our big, big whales from at that time, San Francisco were there. And I come in and my son still teases me about this, but I think it was the best thing that could ever happen. <laughs> he, I came in late and Matthew stood up and he stuck out his hand and he said, hey, Matthew. I said, hey, Eddie. He said, McConaughey. I said, Russell. My son said, I was so embarrassed, Dad. And I'm like, I knew who he was. He didn't have to tell me, but that <laughs> not acting, the, you know, sort of starstruck really made him realize that we could, 
actually be friends and get along with each other. We sort of pick on each other. So it, it's been a good relationship. And just sitting down before everything really got started, just sitting down talking to him. He's a big family man. He does a lot of charitable work. You know, he's different. He's he's a movie star. I mean, he he does movies, but he's a down-to-earth guy. His dad actually went to the University of Kentucky and played football. So, Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, that's where his mom and dad met. He actually, we had Barry Bryan as a football coach, and he played for him in the late 50s. Uh, and then they run Bear Bryant off, which is why UK football yeah. has been good since. <laughs> but, uh, but it just became that, you know, it was just two guys. It wasn't Matthew, the superstar, or Eddie Russell, this Kentucky bourbon guy. It was just two guys talking. And, you know, the same way with Long Branch. It just started out as a conversation on you know, he wanted to make a whiskey that he'd be proud. He's the first guy to ever have his name on a bottle of wild turkey besides Jimmy Reddy or Russell, you know. So it took about two years. I'm not fast on anything. I have to, you know, I want to make sure whatever I release is something that I can go out and say, I like this. And I, you know, this is what this is. And the big deal for me when I think of Texas, I think of their barbecue. You know, here around Kentucky, it's more pork barbecue, but down there, it's it's beef brisket. and salt brisket. Yeah, brisket. Exactly. But they use a lot of that mesquite wood, and I always thought the mesquite gave it a little bit of smoky, citrusy flavors. And you know, wanted to do something. That's the thing with bourbon, especially when you have one recipe and one yeast. You can put out odor whiskey, you can put out different floor whiskeys, you can have some different variances, but to do something completely different. And with Long Branch, I just thought it was a way for me to bring something that was totally different from anything we had. Uh, it's a smooth, nice, easy drinking whiskey. It's not the bigger, bolder whiskey like most of our products. And then again, that just gets back to this might be something, you know, a lot of people go, oh, this would be great for women. I said, I don't look at it that way. I look at it more at this might be somebody that doesn't like the bigger, bolder spikes, you know, that likes those great flavors that bourbon has. So a couple of years of sending samples to Matthew. I mean, I have a team here at Wild Turkey. They did a lot of work and. You know, we wound up, it's actually a two and a half day process, a day of mesquite char, a day of white oak char, and then a half a day for it to marry together. But, you know, uh, Matthew, we'd send them off where, wherever he was around the world. And I think we did 80 proof, 86 proof, 90 proof. We did about four different proofs because we wanted him to sort of pick the proof also. And we sent off the last four, really what, what changed things was uh, I sent off four samples and he sent me back a note or he, he wasn't the old calling me at three thirty 30 or four o'clock in the morning <laughs> when he'd had a few samples. And that was awesome. Playing bongos. And he said, you know, I like this. Could we put a little cane sugar and a cinnamon stick in it? And I called him up and I said, Matthew, Jimmy Russell would kill us both if we did that. So, but what that made me realize, he was looking for a little more of that 
what I think of mature whiskey, a little more sweetness. So I went from a six-year-old to an eight-year-old. So we didn't age date it at first, but we are getting ready to put the eight-year age statement on it, which is an older whiskey compared. I mean, Wild Turkey for many, many years at an eight and a 12-year-old was the oldest whiskey on the market. You know, nowadays people think 25, 30-year-old, and uh, that's a little too much. But, uh, you know, eight-year-old whiskey that's, that's run through char twice, you know, and it brought out that good vanilla caramel, but also hints that citrus and smoke that I was looking for. But we sent those four samples off. He would sit down. Sometimes it might be a month before he got back to me, but him and his wife, they sit down and they would taste them blind. And she'd pick one and he'd pick one. Well, they picked the same one. Wow. There you go. I was actually on vacation with my wife out in Vegas and this is sort of how it is being a master distiller. The second day I have a message on my phone, you got a package at the front desk. So I went down there, it was my four samples because I hadn't tasted <laughs> You know, so I set them up in the room and my wife, she, she likes a little bit of everything, but she does like bourbon. And I said, all right, taste these, but don't tell me which one you like. She tasted them. I tasted them. She picked the same one I picked. So called Matthew up. It was the same sample that him and his wife had picked. Check that out. We knew exactly at that time that this is what we were looking for. I was completely happy with it. It was something that I could be proud of, that I, I could drink, that I could talk about. And it was something that he really, he'll always say the best whiskey he's ever tasted. So it worked out perfect. So it's been a pretty good relationship. You know, we still get on a few podcasts, a few Zooms, and, and you know, we still jab back and forth at each other. It's been a fun relationship. Awesome. And he he is uh, just a great representative of the brand and so forth. And thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Well, Eddie and your son, uh, Bruce, is working in the business now as well. So what's what's Bruce doing? Uh, and does he have aspirations to follow uh, in your footsteps? Bruce, you know, it's a little different. Uh, I came here, went to the union and was totally happy. He was just like I was. He wanted that yeah. college degree. He wanted to move to a big city. Uh, so where I just... Worked here at the distillery for my first 20, 25 years with few local visits to people. He, We started him off on the Occident on the marketing end. He actually got an apartment off of the internet and moved to Austin, Texas, didn't know a soul, and spent about three years, four years down there basically as a brand ambassador. And then started flying around the U.S. talking to people. And then he actually moved back here two, three years ago and spent a lot of time here at the distillery. Uh, but I see him as sort of a hybrid baby. You know, he has a very good, uh, he knows how to taste whiskey. He knows what it should smell like. He has his own opinions. You know, one of my best stories, and I'll, I'll tell this really quick because we always made rye whiskey. We actually sourced it at the beginning because nobody in Kentucky made it. It came from Pennsylvania and Maryland back in the 50s and 60s and up till the early 70s. And from day one, my son loved rye whiskey. 
My dad had always made it that he never drank. He doesn't like it at all. I mean, he knows what it's supposed to taste like. He's proud of what he makes, but he's not drinking it. He's a bourbon guy. Yeah. And I pretty much was the same way. I knew rye, drank it in a few cocktails. And one of the first trips he took was, and I think we were at the New York Whiskey Fest and we were sitting in a bar and I just released our single barrel Russell's rye. And we ordered a drink. Now, Jimmy usually always gets rare breed, neat. You know, I think I got Russell's and my son gets rye. And it, I think it, I'm not even sure it was a single barrel because it's just been the Russell's six years old. They called my dad Mimi, all the grandkids do it. He looked over and he said, Mimi, that single barrel rye dad release is the best thing we ever have, ever done. And my dad said, you're fired. Uh, oh, <laughs> my, son, like- my, my son's eyes get real big. And I said, don't worry, Bruce. I said, he's fired me seven times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What it did was it, it, he just brought a different perspective into our industry. I, sure. And that nobody else has where Jimmy is that staunch, you know, I'm 101, I'm rare breed. I want my whiskey big and bold to me coming in with Russell's, which is a little creamier and smoother. And then Bruce coming in, loving rye whiskey and talking about rye whiskey and teaching me what to really look for. We age some longer because most people don't age their rye more than four or five years and released it. So I've just had such a very honored to have both ends where I get to see what the industry was always about, what's happened. And now I'm getting to see the future with Bruce. You know, because really he's exciting cocktail yeah. industry. He's that age. He can make drinks. You know, so seeing his perspective, seeing Jimmy's gives me a very good balance on what I need to do. Well, I tell you, Eddie, what's awesome, and for all of our listeners, I mean, uh, the heritage and the, the family component. I mean, y'all are really artists when it all comes down to it, right? You've got a different take from what Jimmy's take was a little bit. Now we're seeing evidence that 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 Bruce may have a, a, a different perspective as, as your family evolves. So, uh, okay, we've lived in the pandemic. Uh, you haven't had to travel that much. If you and Mrs. Russell uh, could be anywhere in the world right now uh, to have a wild turkey or a long branch, uh, where would you be? Is there one particular place that you'd like to be? Do you like going to the beach or to the mountains? Uh, where would be that place you could pick? You know, that's that's pretty tough because I've been so honored to go so many places around the world. I really love the Asian countries. Japan's always been special for us. But, you know, and I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings when I say this. My wife's never even been there. But I have such a great time in Australia. It's our biggest export market. The fans over there are amazing. They love wild turkey. They understand wild turkey, I think, even more than we do here in the United States, you know. Uh, So, you know, if I could go to Sydney and sit in front of the Opera House and the bridge and have a drink looking out, our offices used to look right out at that, that would probably be it. But... Believe me, there's plenty that are right there close, but I'll give a thumbs up to maybe Sydney, Australia. It is beautiful there. I've had the privilege to be there as well. So, 
Well, Eddie, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council, uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, thank you to Jimmy Russell and uh, uh, thank you to Bruce uh, coming behind the scenes as well. And uh, just a, a great toast. Congratulations on your 40th year anniversary and really the world are beneficiaries of the great work by you and your family. Uh, great thanks to Campari as well. And uh, great cheers to you. And thank you for doing the podcast with us. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. The Spirited Advocate podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.